بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد So we continue with the advices of uh, Imam Harith al-Muhasibi He says The last thing that we read in the previous gathering was وَكُلُّ صَاهِبٍ لَا تَزْدَادُ بِهِ خَيْرٌ فِي كُلِّ يَوْمٍ فَانْبِذْ عَنْكَ صُحْبَتَهُ That any companion, any friend that you have, any, any friend or companion, anybody that you generally sit with Through whom or with whom you don't increase in goodness You don't increase in any goodness or excellence, you don't get any benefit out of Every day, then abandon his companionship Abandon his companionship. You don't need him. You, you, there's not enough time in this world to have bad friends, basically. We don't know how long we're going to live for anyway, but even if we live to 70 or 80, there's no time for bad friends. Because it's not just about the day spent with those bad friends. But it's actually the harm that comes from it and the, the time that's lost when you could have had a better friend. And anybody would tell you that afterwards in hindsight. It doesn't matter what, how they excite you. It doesn't matter how nice it's being with them. If you're not benefiting from such people, then there's no point. You either benefit somebody yourself, or you're going to be affected by somebody else. And then he says something very interesting. He says, والتجاوز. He says, you need to carry with you your share of pardoning and forgiving. You need to take with you your share of forgiveness Overlooking somebody else's faults or whatever it may be just easygoing nature. You need to have a share of that with you Like if you don't have that and you just can't forgive Then you've got problem. So go and buy some, you know, go 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 and get a supply of forgiveness and pardon and Overlooking somebody else's wrongs and faults or whatever it is Because without that we're gonna suffer in this world In this world we need to we need to have patience. Otherwise, there's always some challenges that come about and if we don't have patience, then we're going to react in the wrong way. And we're never going to calm down. We're never going to forgive. And then that creates acrimony, that creates hatred, that creates broken communities, broken families, broken communities, broken ummah, broken humanity. I mean, what else do you want? So it's just not a good idea. Basically, what the author seems to be indicating towards is that if you ever have a dispute with somebody, then that it's best in that dispute or maybe slight difference of opinion or small kind of quarrel that you may come into or whatever it may be, it's better to actually forgive and overlook than to continue in it even though you then realize that there's no point in this. Just because you want a good argument and you want to win. That's a trait, by the way. I mean, I can tell you because I, I've experienced that trait where you just want to win. You don't want to give up. You want to win. And obviously you think you're right. Most cases you may be right. But some cases it might be a misunderstanding. That's also a possibility. Right? Have you ever experienced where you thought you were right, but then actually you did find out later that you were wrong? I'm sure everybody's done that, right? I'm sure every one of us has never been always right. Even though we may be right most of the time. I mean, there are some people who are generally right most of the time. 
But there has to come a time when we're not right because we're human beings, that's why. Not because we're weak or whatever. We, well, we are weak because human beings are weak. That's what it is. Insanu da'ifa, as Allah says in the Quran. So it's a possibility. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to be wrong. We won't always be right. But we have to allow the idea that we could be wrong. And then it's not about that anyway. It's not about being wrong. It's about the fact that sometimes you may be right, but it's no point persisting in the argument. Right? Because let's just say that somebody owes you something. And because of that, you got an argument with them. But you know they're not going to give it to you, even if you act stubborn, even if you keep arguing, even for years, they're not going to give it to you. So then what's the point of continuing the argument? I know it's very difficult to then say, okay, we're going to be friends again. Right? I mean, you could say, I'll, I'll deal with you on the Day of Judgment, but we're going to be friends again. I'm going to be nice to you again. You could do that, but that takes a lot. That's not easy to do. But then what's the point of keeping the argument? Somebody called me the other day from another country. He said, I've been listening to you and so on, but I've got, an, I've got a question. That I don't get any barakah and blessing in my wealth. I don't have any barakah in wealth. I, I do a little job, you know, I have a job. But uh, I, I don't have any money left and I struggle. That's what I got from the question. So I asked him a number of questions, gave him a few du'as, etc. But I asked him a number of questions. I said, have you broken up with anybody? Especially from your relatives, family. So from what I could understand, there has been a dispute. And because of that, they're not on speaking terms. And I'm sure that, well, I would assume that many families have that kind of a problem somewhere, unfortunately. There's somebody not speaking to somebody. Right? So I said, look, you don't need to be on speaking terms in terms of like, you don't have to have like some big discussions or something like that, but at least make salam. Right? At least have that much, at least start off with that much. So that's what, I mean, it sounds in theoretically, sounds great that, okay, if you're not going to get something from someone and there's no way you're going to convince them, well, okay, fine. That doesn't mean you have to break up for the rest of your life. Like, life is a bit bigger than that. I mean, there are other ways you can benefit from other people, right? So that's what he's saying, that he's saying that if you do have a dispute with somebody then it is best to forgive and overlook than to continue stubbornly in argument because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no what the author says for example is that and uh, what we learn from our deen is that disputes they actually dissolve your deen they actually affect negatively impact your religion have you noticed, even when you're praying, you go to the masjid and the guy you're disputing, you've got a dispute with, he suddenly, you see him in the masjid. And you're about to start your prayer and you start your prayer. What's going to happen? You're going to think of the argument, oh he said this, so I'm going to say that. That's just generally what's going to happen, so your salat gets spoiled. Because shaitan is there to see the connection. Shaitan is very intelligent in that sense. I mean, he can make connections very far and say, okay, I'm going to use that too. So it, 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 it really like effaces the deen, it occupies your mind, you can't be productive then. You may become a good arguer, you may become better at debate. But I mean, do you can make money out of debate? I mean, if you're a professional debater and people are paying you for it, then maybe it's worth it. If you're debating the right causes. But otherwise, just to be a debater, just to satisfy your own nafs, then that's not worth it. So, tashghilu al-aql. It will totally kill basically any kind of tranquility and peace in your heart because you're, you're going to be in overdrive thinking about it all the time. It's going to occupy you. 
it's going to probably restrict where you can go because if the other person is there, you won't, you won't want to be there maybe or it, you know that it may just re- lead to the wrong thing so you don't want to be there. And at the end of the day, it just blackens your heart and it just it's just kindles too many problems. So just forgive and pardon, overlook. That's why he says that generally the person who is so easygoing and relaxed and they don't generally... they. You know, some people just find it so much easier to deal with, uh, to, to forgive, right? Those of us who are a bit more principled in, well, I don't know if this is the right principle, but those of us who want perfection and who have this strong sense of justice that they want to always see justice prevail. One is that there's just somebody who just loves to argue. He just always wants to put up, pull up his sleeves and argue. But then there's other people who always want justice to prevail and they're willing to go to extremes to do that but again those people have to f- to choose their battle well because you can't do it everywhere in some cases it's heroic but in other cases it might an- end up being stupidity it just depends on what it is so human life is very complicated it's not straightforward and you have to be very versatile that's why he's giving us the tools here remember he says you need to have your share of them because sometimes you're gonna have to forgive even if you one justice, sometimes you may not be able to get it. And it may be better just to leave it. So that's why he's saying that the, the, the one who is um, the one who's able to digest a lot more and let go of a lot more and who doesn't like to get into arguments as much, he's going to sleep much better than other people, generally speaking. And then... He says, what will happen when you forgive is that you will be given tranquility in your heart. You'll be given comfort. You'll relax a bit more. Ibn Qutayba, a deenwari, great imam of Arabic and other, uh, other subjects, once what happened is uh, he was very intelligent. He's very intelligent. Once he had, a, di- he had a, a dispute with somebody else. I think he was correcting it. He, he was on the right side. So he had a dispute with somebody else, between actually a cousin of his, Ibn Amminlah, his cousin. A family, you know, one of those family issues, whatever it was. Ibn Qutayba said, I'm going to get my right from this person, until eventually he took him, it went to court. So until eventually it went to court. So they got to the court, and so Ibn Qutayba says that, Bishr Ibn Abdullah Ibn Abi Bakr, he passed by me once. And he said, What's making, you, what's making you sit here? Why are you sitting in this place for? So I told him that, oh, you know what? I mean, he probably saw, it, saw him by the courthouse. So he says, why are you sitting here for? He says, because I've got a dispute with my cousin brother. Right? Maybe some land issue. I don't know what it was. But I mean, that's typical, right? So he said, uh, that person, Bish, uh, uh, Bishr ibn Abdullah, he says, you know what? I've got a favor to repay because your father, your father has done me something, done something good for me, so I've got to repay you for that. Meaning there's, I owe you one. Because of your father, I owe you one. And right now, I want to actually repay you. I want to do that favor to you now. So he thought, okay, great. You know, maybe whatever it may be. So this is, Wallahi ma ra'aytu shay'an adhaba lid-deen wala anqasa lil-muru'a wala adhi'a lil-ladha wala ashghala lil-qalbi min al-khusuma So he gave him this advice. He says, this is my favor to you. I'm going to tell you that I've never seen anything that is more disastrous to your deen, that is more destructive to your religion, and that is 
more diminishing to your decency, your self-dignity and respect, among people especially, and that takes away the pleasure of your life, because you can be eating some really nice food, but you're worried about that. You could be doing something else that's pleasurable, but you're worried about that. Right? You're worried about meaning your dispute. And something that is, you haven't seen anything more occupying than the heart. So those four things that will be more destructive to your deen, more diminishing of your common chivalry and decency and self-esteem, that will take away your pleasure and that will occupy your heart. I've never seen anything worse than khusuma and dispute. I completely understand that. I completely agree with that. So Ibn Qutayba says, now Ibn Qutayba was a man of principles, but he was a man of nasiha. And he was a man of, you know, understanding. As soon as he heard this, he thought, man, he's t- telling the truth. ansarif." So I got up to move away. I got up to turn away from the whole argument. So my opponent, my, my cousin said to me, what's going on? Malak, what's happening? I said, I'm not going to dispute with you anymore. I'm going to drop this case. So he got probably excited. Like, you know, you figured out that, you know, I'm on the truth, that means. That you're wrong and I'm right. That's why you're moving away. That's what they'll say, right? That's what will stop you from actually moving away. Remember that. It's because of that that they will think so. And unfortunately, people, they are, they are, they're not going to leave you alone. I mean, that is what the, this is shaitan. He's going to make you think all sorts of stuff. I said, no. I said, no, it's not because of that. I just want to ennoble myself from, by staying away from this. I want to make myself noble by staying away from this because by being with this, this is ignoble. And I abandoned this dispute. Imam Ghazali has actually related this in his Ihya Ulum in the Afatul Lisan. It's a wonderful, huge but wonderful chapter that he discusses. Alright, the next point that um, our author, may Allah have mercy on him, he says is, وَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الْمُؤْمِنِ يُخْتَبَرْ صِدْكُهُ فِي كُلِّ حَالٍ That's extremely profound. He says, know that the true believer, his truthfulness, veracity, sincerity is going to be, uh, it's going to be tested at every moment. His truthfulness to Allah whether he's truly Siddiq, right? That's going to be tested at every moment. Well, now that we know that, the point of telling us this is that we probably n- not sure if we were aware of this. It's a reality. But when you're told about this, you start thinking of it like that. And the benefit of it is that you think that, okay, the next time you know, I'm having to make a decision about something, do I really love Allah or not? So I've got a possibility of a sin in front of me. Right. Am I really truthful to Allah or not? Or am I going to fall into this other thing? So I'm being tested. So know that a believer is going to be tested. His sitq is going to be tested in every state. Apparently this, uh, this particular statement, according to the editor as well, it's a bit confusing, this statement. But it seems like He's going to have to test himself through trials that will come upon him. There's going always going to be tests. So he's going to have to test himself. There's always going to be some challenge that's going to come in front of you by which humans become purified. It's, like, it's almost like life is just full of hurdles. I mean, that's a statement anyway. Life is full of hurdles. Life is like an assault course. 
And there's just various different things that you're going to have to come. And whoever reaches the end without being messed up too much, they're going to go to paradise. So when you understand that it is an assault course, I guess it makes it easier that, okay, I have to do this assault course. If you think it's a walk in a park, then it's a bit of, then, then, then we're in for a rude surprise, right? But if you know that it is going to be difficult, then you get used to it. You get prepared for it, hopefully. It's always nice to know where you're going. Like if you know you're going and there's not going to be any water there, well, you're going to take some water with you. But if you get there and you find out there's no water there, then you're like, oh no, I wish I bought that, my water. You go somewhere and then you didn't know it was going to be cold there. <coughs> and so for example, once I went to Hajj and I hadn't taken anything because I thought it was summer here, it was summer there. I said, I don't need a jacket. Right? Where, where, why would you need a jacket? In the plains, they give you blankets anyway. So where would you need a jacket? Got back after the Hajj Jidda airport and it is freezing. I don't know, maybe they had a lot of money at that time. They, you know, the AC was just blasting, like really cold. Really cold. Man, I don't know, maybe it was about 13 degrees or 12 degrees. It was freezing or maybe less than that. I was like, oh no, why didn't I bring a jumper? Now, had I, now every year I go, even though it's summer still, I take, a, I take a fleece with me in my hand luggage because I know that I don't want to mess around in the airport. Because then, you know, you already got like a bit of a cold or cough or whatever, and then that just aggravates it and then it becomes worse. So when you know about something, it's always nice to know. And that's why reading more and understanding more, it gives us these reminders. It keeps telling us, look, you know, because you may forget. Now imagine somebody who knows about this, but then after he hasn't been for 10 years, he goes back after 10 years and like, oh no, man, I've forgotten again. That happened to me 10 years ago. So it's just like life is like that. The more we know about life, the more we know that there's going to be difficulties, it's easier if you prepare for it. We ask Allah for help. Raqibun lillahi ala nafsihi. So the person needs to be always, for the sake of Allah, very conscious about themselves, actually supervising them. Raqib means somebody who watches very carefully. Saying a person needs to watch themselves very carefully, otherwise we are going to allow ourselves to go on the wrong way because we're not careful. So a person, the wording he uses is that you have to be just very careful about yourself. Always looking out for yourself with all of these tools that he's providing. So remain with the true, with the proofs of, of, of the haqq. Always go according to the Qur'an and the Sunnah and whatever gives you the, the haqq. That's the most important for you. Look at this. Um, this. This particular incident will kind of highlight to us what kind of balance is required here. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, it's a famous story uh, about his inquisition. Uh, the, the ruler of the time came up with this strange idea about the Qur'an, the nature of the Qur'an. It's highly theological and complicated. I'm not going to go into it right now, but I've discussed it. I've actually got a biography, Imam Ahmad on Ibn Hanbal on Zamzam Academy, if you want. And it's in Saviors of Islamic Spirit as well, if you want to read about it. So his inquisition, he was put into prison and then he was going to be whipped. So now he's put into prison. Remember, there's a number of other scholars who've been killed for not believing and not, not accepting the belief that the ruler of the time wanted them to accept. So a number of ulama have been killed, a number of them are in prison. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, 
uh, it, it was such a it was such a desperate and serious situation that a number of ulama actually interpreted or gave a different impression about their beliefs and got away. That's how far it became. But Imam Ahmad, he stood up and he said, I'm not going to compromise in this at all. So it says that he was imprisoned. He was shackled. His feet were shackled to the ground. He didn't care about the fact that he was in prison. That didn't bother him. Neither did it bother him that he was going to be killed with a sword. That much he says that that didn't bother me because that's all for the sake of Allah. That I'm fine with that, he says. What he was worried about was that his body would become weak. His body would become weak so that he couldn't undertake the punishment. He was only concerned that I won't be able to take this persecution. He didn't mind being killed, but he didn't want to become weak so he couldn't take the, the persecution and thus then say something because he was whipped. He was whipped so much that it said that if an if a elephant was whipped like that, it would have fallen. Right? That's how much they whipped him. And he said harder and harder. So he's saying that the re, what he was most fearful about was that his body would become weak. He wouldn't be able to tolerate the persecution. He would then, his patience, right, for the sake of truth, the perseverance that he had, that would diminish. That would diminish, like he couldn't stay strong. That's what he felt. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically inspired him. Inspired him with a number of words, number of kalimat, number of uh, verses or whatever, which helped him to get through it. He says, what happened is, actually, Allah, gave, Allah taught him certain things and inspired him from really venues that he would never have expected it to come from. He says that uh, with him um, were a number of thieves, a number of thieves, a number of Bedouins, and a number of uh, other criminals in the prison. Basically from them he learnt that he'll be able to gain the energy to deal with these things. He said, I would never have expected that I would learn from these people. But they were there and he said he learned from them. So that's how he managed to become stronger. His patience increased. And even though his shoulder was dislocated in the flogging, right, until he became, I mean, he became unconscious, but he was able to be patient and he was able to remain with the, on the true opinion. He didn't give it up at all. So if you want to be strong, Allah will help you and He'll give you these things from where you would never have accepted, uh, expected these things to come from. That's why uh, in Ibn al-Jawzi's biography of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, he says that, لَمَّا أُخِذَ أَحْمَدُ مِنْ بَغْدَادِ وَسَافَرُوا بِهِ إِلَى when Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal was picked up in Baghdad and then they were taking him to Raqqa. You know Raqqa was famous, I mean, it's, um, it's in the northern part of Syria. And that's where he was imprisoned. Some of the ulama, they came to him uh, to <coughs> remind him about certain ahadith in which you're allowed to hide your true opinion when it becomes very serious and you're going to be killed and so on. 
So they were trying to, t out of mercy, right? Out of compassion for him. Look, you got these ahadith, and you know, you can use them. You don't have to do what you're doing. You can just kind of uh, say something else because it's a life and death situation. So some, some of the ulama, they, but Imam Ahmed, he says, I'm not going to do taqiyya. I'm not going to hide the true opinion. I need to fight for this one. He said to them, كَيْفَ تَصْنَعُونَ بِحَدِيثِ خَبَّاب So he is giving them another hadith. He says, what, how, what, what's your response to the hadith of Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiyallahu an? إِنَّ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكُمْ كَانَ يُنْشَرُ أَحَدُهُمْ بِالْمِنْشَارِ ثُمَّ لَا يَسُدُّهُ ذَلِكَ عَنْ دِينِهِ You know the famous about Khabbab radiyallahu an? When the Prophet, he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa told him, we were sitting by the Kaaba, the Prophet kind of got up, we need to answer him, that you think it's going to be so easy, you're going to be tested. Right? You're going to be tested, there's going to be things, and that's why we're constantly being tested here. Nothing compared to what their tests were. You know that, what is it, kill a Muslim day, what was it? Huh? Punish a Muslim day. A punish a Muslim day, right? I mean, these are just all trials. But there's, they're nothing compared to this. Alhamdulillah, may Allah protect us. I mean, they seem light compared to this. It says that in that hadith, it mentions that the Prophet is saying that before you, there were people who would, whose flesh would be separated from their bones using metal, metal shears, metal combs. Right, until it was, I mean, that just sounds gory. That sounds so difficult to even. But that did not prevent them from their deen. That did not prevent them from their deen. So that's why he, he totally refused. And he said to them, I don't care that I'm imprisoned. He says, my home and this prison is the same thing for me. Like I'm there or I'm here, I'm probably doing what I'm doing anyway. It doesn't make a difference to me. Neither do I care about being killed by the sword. What I do fear though, is being persecuted with that flogging. Because I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to tolerate that. And I fear that I won't be able to tolerate it. So that is when some other prisoners who were there, when he's speaking to this alim, that's when the other prisoner said to him, لا عليك يا أبا عبد الله فما هو إلا سوطان ثم لا تدري أين يقع الباقي الله أكبر This prisoner said to him, you know what, you're going to feel the first two of these floggings. Then after that you won't know where the rest. You'll only feel the first two, after that you'll be gone. You won't feel the rest, don't worry about it. You won't feel the rest of them at all. فَكَأَنَّهُ سُرِّيَعًا That was the right time for that person to say that. And it was like Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal was relieved that, oh, alhamdulillah. What else are you going to do in that situation? But then to think in that correct way, that that's what I'm worried about. Not that I'm worried about that I'm going to be beaten, but worried about why you're going to be beaten and what it's going to do to you, Allah. So Imam Ahmad rahimahullah says, he says, I did not ما سمعت كلمة منذ وقعت في هذا الأمر الذي وقعت فيه أقوى من كلمة أعرابي كلمني في رحبة في في رحبة طوق. It's the name of a place. قال يا أحمد أن يقتلك الحق مت شهيدا وإن عشت عشت حميدا فقوي قلبي. He's getting all his reassurance from all of these people. He says this Arabi, this Bedouin. So Imam Ahmad says that I've never heard a a, a, a statement or uh, uh, words that were said to me 
regarding the inquisition that I was afflicted with that were more powerful for me and more strengthening for me than these words that were said to me by this Bedouin right in this place called Rahbatu Tawq right he said to me Ahmed if they kill you right then you're gonna die as a shaheed and if you stay alive you're gonna you're gonna be praised by people so you're fine so either way you're fine so basically it's like the end justifies the means in a sense don't worry about what happens in between if you die you're a shaheed and if you're alive then people are if you remain alive people are gonna praise you so it's worth doing what you're doing it's well worth doing what you're doing my heart got strengthened I never expected that to happen for some Arabi to tell me this his son Abdullah says that I used to constantly hear my father say meaning Imam Ahmed I used to constantly hear him say may Allah have mercy on Abu Haytham may Allah forgive Abu Haytham may Allah pardon Abu Haytham I said Ya Abi Man Abu Haytham who is this Abu Haytham that you keep making dua for Right. So he said, don't you know him? He said, no. He said, Abu Haytham al-Haddad. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? But this one is Abu Haytham al-Haddad. Right. The father of Haytham al-Haddad. This Abu Haytham al-Haddad. So Imam Ahmad is explaining to his son. He said, you know the day that I was taken from the prison to go and be flogged. And my my arms were being extended between the two posts to be tied to the two posts so that they would be tied there so that I, I would be spread like this so that they could flog me right he said that suddenly there was somebody grabbing my clothing from the back somebody pulling up my clothing from the back and he was saying to me Ta'rifuni, do you recognize me and I said no he says Ana Abul Haytham al Ayyar so he called himself Ayyar somebody who you can say uh, who basically says bad things about others, right? It's, not, it's a negative, right? And nasheed fil ma'asi, somebody who's known to be a big, very disobedient, very mischief, very, a big criminal, right? So he says, that's who I am. I'm Abu Haytham al Ayyar. He was a lis, he was a lis and a tarrar. Basically, he was, a, he was a thief, he was a robber, and he was a pickpocket, professional pickpocket. He was known for it. Now, how is he going to help Imam Ahmad? You think about it. How is he going to help Imam Ahmad? Well, you see, this is where Allah provides you from places that you never thought of. He says, I have been, I am registered in the state, you know, in the courts as, uh, according to the Amir al-Mu'mineen, that I have been, you can go and check, he says, I have been flogged 18,000 times. Like over the course of my life, I've been flogged 18,000 times. وَصَبَرْتُ فِي ذَلِكَ عَلَىٰ طَاعَةِ الشَّيْطَانِ لِأَجْلِ الدُّنْيَا And in all of that, I have taken it, I have borne that, I have persevered through that in obedience to the shaitan. I did that for the shaitan. He's obviously saying it in hindsight, that I did that for a wrong cause. فَاصْبِرْ أَنْتَ فِي طَاعَةِ الرَّحْمَانِ لِأَجْلِ الدِّينِ so you be patient. You persevere through this for the sake of obedience to the Rahman, for the sake of your deen. Now if somebody tells you that, your iman is going to go out of the roof. Allahu Akbar. Can you imagine somebody has been 18,000 flogs for the sake of shaitan. And he says, I survived. 
you can easily survive for the sake of the deen. So Imam Ahmed said, فَضُّرِبْتُ ثَمَانِيَةَ عَشَرَ سَوْتًا I was struck 18 times. I was flogged 18 times instead of 18,000 times. Now they struck him well though. They struck him really. Because one of those uh, people who struck him, one of those floggers, he says that if I had struck a camel like that, that camel would have fallen. That's how he was. But he fainted. He fainted. And his arm was dislocated because remember he was uh, hung like that, uh, outstretched. But his, his people, they, uh, the, the people who actually flogged him, they say that we really struck him hard because the, the Mu'tasim was saying, strike him harder, strike him harder. So there you go. That's, um, that, that's a, truly a lesson, inshallah. It gives us tawfiq. It gives us that it's not easy to be a Muslim. I mean, it's supposed to be easy, but it's not easy. Like, there's going to be challenges. It's not easy to be a human being in this world. There's all these difficulties and there's all these challenges, regardless of who you are. And there are people who suffer, and they're not Muslim, but they suffer because they don't get enough food, they don't get this, the psychological depression, maybe they've got some other problem, maybe they've got some problem with their children, whatever it may be. Everybody has issues. But if you're on the truth and you've got a cause worth living for, then these troubles are not, not a problem. We have to undertake them. Allah opens up other paths for you. Some paths of yours become closed, Allah opens up other paths. It's ajeeb what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala The world is vast. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help. We ask Allah for help. So that's why he says, وَاسْدُقْ فِي الطَّلَبِ تَرِثْ عِلْمَ الْبَصَائِرِ You be sincere in your striving. Be sincere in your striving and you will then be given the knowledge of the insights, of the divine insight. You will be, things will be opened up for you and you'll figure these things out. And, and then he mentions a number of other things and we will, uh, we will um, basically what he says is The springs of... N- uh, of gnosis, the springs of knowledge about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will suddenly become revealed to you and a number of things will be provided to you that comes purely from the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala amila, because the person who's going to win is the one who works hard liman alima, and you're going to get fear for the one who uh, fear for uh, of the one who recognizes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala liman wuthiqa, and you're going to get reliance if you rely on Allah you're going to be given reliance liman aiqana, and Allah will give you fear for the one who has the conviction liman shakara, and if you do shakar Allah will give you more so there's always benefit in all of this we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for assistance اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم والله we ask for your benevolence والله we ask for your mercy والله grant us your forgiveness grant us your turn to us with your compassion والله والله we want your kindness Oh Allah, you are the most kind. Oh Allah, you are the most merciful. 
you're the most generous. Oh Allah, you're the most forgiving. Oh Allah, you're the most giving. Oh Allah, we ask you for that which is beneficial for us. Oh Allah, we ask you for that which you know is beneficial for us. And we may not know it's beneficial for us. Oh Allah, allow us to make the right choices. Forgive us our wrong choices. Forgive our wrongs. Forgive our shortcomings. Forgive our defects. Forgive our sins. We ask you forgiveness from all those sins that we think about and that we have done. Oh Allah, those that we are so habituated to that we can't even leave and we can't abandon. Oh Allah, forgive us those sins that bring on other sins. Those sins that create darkness in our hearts, that create darkness in our homes, that turn people against each other. Oh Allah, that removes the barakah and blessing from us. Oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from all the sins. Oh Allah, we don't know, we sometimes don't even understand how harmful sins may be. Oh Allah, and we can't help ourselves. Oh Allah, we ask you for strength. We ask you for fortitude. Oh Allah, grant us of all of those things that we need to live successfully in this life and to gain success in the hereafter. Oh Allah, accept from us. Oh Allah, accept from us. O oh Allah, turn to us with your mercy. Grant us your love and put around us people who love you. Make us friends of those people who love you and grant us friends who are great and good. O oh Allah, make us forces for good change. O oh Allah, protect us from being the keys to evil. O oh Allah, make us the doors of goodness. O oh Allah, allow us to be forces of goodness in this world. O oh Allah, bring back insaniyah to the insan. O oh Allah, protect us, our progeny, protect all of our people. O oh Allah, we ask you for protection from shaitan and from anybody else that seeks to harm us. O oh Allah, we ask you for tawfiq in what we're doing and grant us tawfiq to do that which is pleasing. O oh Allah, grant, uh, grant us strength to do our projects that are beneficial for us. O oh Allah, accept us all for the service of your deen. O oh Allah, protect us, our progeny, our generations until the day of judgment make us all the muqeemeen as salat make us all of those who establish prayer and from our families oh allah do not allow do not allow us to turn away from our religion nor from our children nor from our families oh allah protect us from all the evil and the challenges that are out there oh allah make this holiday that we're in a useful one a beneficial one Oh Allah, make this day a beneficial one. Make our lives a beneficial one. And make our subsequent life after this day better than the previous days. And oh Allah, make the best part of our life the final part of our life. And oh Allah, make the best day of our existence the day that we stand in front of you. Oh Allah, subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun al mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.